0: Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we take on the week's hottest legal topics. And this week, the final week in September, we have yet another Trump case. And this one is one that we've all forgotten about until this week when everything exploded. And it's the business practices and businesses in New York that Donald Trump has and his sons are part of, all of these organizations. It was brought by the Attorney General of New York and as of this week, there was summary judgment finding fraud and fraudulent business practices in full pretty much in full. So that's what we're talking about today. We've got a few other things up our sleeve, Uh, maybe for the end of it, some more constitutions, some more amending process, some more constitutional amendments, put them all together. But what we are going to focus on today is this exciting case that came seems like it came out of nowhere, but has been sitting around for quite some time. I'm Virginia Tarani. I am the host and the owner of The Law Unscripted, which does the podcasts of The Law Unscripted and The Legal Weekly Wine. I'm also a full-time practicing attorney in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia with Tarani Law, LLC, because you never need a lawyer. Tell you, you do. do. <laughs> there we go. And working with me is our very own Chelsea Rogers. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey
1: everybody, I'm Chelsea. I'm a recent law school grad. Currently pending bar results. Let's all cross our fingers for that. Um, but I'm so excited to be talking about this case today and a couple other things I know Dr. Vile will be talking about.
0: Yeah, and we're still excited to have you back. So this is Chelsea's second appearance again, um, back for, today, maybe. Right, for the fall season. And then we have our other host, Dr. John Vile from Middle Tennessee State University, where he is the dean of the Honors College, along with a prolific writer and expert in the Constitution, the amending process. Um, and a lot of other things. Many of you are probably pretty up to date on what he does, but we're going to drop a link, um, a couple links in the description where you can follow each of us and who we are and what we do, and especially Dr. Vile and all of his work with the college and on the Constitution. So, Dr. Vile, welcome. Good to be here. Now, uh, just a confession, and they, they know this, but a confession to all of you watching and listening. I have... Really read this case. Um, I pulled it off online. I honestly was up quite a bit of the night in the week reading this case and making copious notes. And I have a few surprises that I'm going to spring on Dr. Vile and Chelsea during our taping that they have not heard. Um, they don't know what I'm going to say, but they might not be quite as funny or interesting as I think they are but we're all going to see in real time their reactions and hopefully you'll have an interesting reaction of your own um okay does everybody have something to drink because this is the weekly wine excellent Dr. Vial's ready with his water
1: (laughs) I have sweet tea but it isn't a wine glass (laughs)
0: Fair enough. It's happy hour Sugar
1: this morning.
0: Yeah, you know, we're doing it for happy hour, but it is a little bit in the morning. We got to confess. We're trying to pre tape it to get it out for happy hour. Um, I am going to be drinking. Um, It is technically happy hour for all of you. So we hope you've grabbed your own glass. But we have a special wine today. And it's not necessarily about the wine as to where it came from. We have started um, getting little suggestions and gifts um, from other people to say, please, you know, we'd love to be featured on the weekly wine. And um, one of these, it wasn't an actual please feature us on the weekly wine as it was a gift to us um, by our marketing team. Team. Um, we use SMB Team as our marketing support for the law office. And they know about our podcasts and um, as a little gift for we've enjoyed working with you. You know, we, we're loving doing your marketing. You're doing so well with the law office and with the law and scripted that we thought we'd send something that you liked. And somehow they've been and greatly they've been watching our podcasts and they knew that my favorite are Cabernets. <laughs> so they sent me as a little gift and a treat of Cabernet. And that is what we have today. We have a Vintners Path Cabernet 2019 from California. So I'm very excited to try the wine. I'm so grateful for the gift and their encouragement and support of all that we do. They're doing a great job in helping us get our firm going, get our name out there and supporting everything that we do. So thank you very much, SMB team, and cheers to all of you. Oh, that's delightful. Oh, it's very sweet. Chelsea, you would like it.
1: Okay, good. I'll have to try it next time we're together.
2: You would really like this. Tell your husband that it has raspberry in it. leave it alone.
0: (laughs) I don't want to share. I'll tell him it tastes just like raspberries. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the funny thing is, he actually probably will like this one, so maybe I should hide it. Eric, if you're listening, it really is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's very good. It's very... um, very sweet, but not overly sweet, not like obnoxiously sweet like a Moscato. Um, it's very reminiscent of, I know it's from a berry because it's a grape, but like more summer r- raspberries, blackberries um, kind of taste. It's it's very delightful. So good job, S&B. Great pick. Um, all of you pick up a bottle, give it a try. And off we go to the attorney general case.
1: What's happening in New York? Um What's going on? what isn't
0: happening in New York, right? I <laughs> True. True. so okay, so let's count them, everybody. Let's make sure we're on the right path. We're naming all the cases. We through the Weekly Wine, among the three of us, we've talked about the other four. Yes. So Dr. Vile, name name one you remember.
2: Well, the documents case. That's maybe the strongest in terms of having a lot of physical evidence yes, and apparently having at least one or two people who have flipped. Yes. uh, Indicated that they were told to hide the fact that they had documents there.
0: Yes. Um, And recently, I I think it was this week or late last week into this week, there are those allegations by um, somebody that there were notes that, basically they used the the documents as post-it notes where they were writing notes on the classified documents and passing them over. Um, right. So that is very recent, but, but I agree with you, Dr. Vile, of all of the cases out there, at least of the evidence that's been shown to the public um, or discussed in public, that one seems the hardest to overcome. Okay. So that's one of the cases and that's a criminal case. Chelsea, what have you got?
1: I'm thinking of two, but we have the criminal case in Georgia. Okay.
0: That's the Rico the, case. There we go. Mm-hmm. And then With we the 19.
1: The, the, right. The, I'm thinking the co-conspirators, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the E. Jean Carroll case. Oh,
0: yeah. you know, then that's number five. Here we go. Oh, yes. So-
1: oh, my goodness. I
0: wasn't even thinking about that, but you're absolutely right. The defamation case. Yes. That E. Jean Carroll has brought. Now there, it's kind of six because there was the the one that she's
1: already won in the second one, yes. And it's- then
0: there's the new one that she's lodged. Okay. So that, man, goodness, they're, they're piling up. And please, for all of our listeners and viewers, you're seeing us laughing. And part of it is it's not because it's Trump. It's not because we think he's guilty or not guilty. We're, we're trying to stay as neutral as possible so that you couldn't always tell, but a lot of people make assumptions as to which way we're going to go. Some are are good. Some are not. Um, but it it just seems at this point kind of ridiculous, um, in one way or the other
1: shakespearean like comedy of errors like it seems a little like silly like the amount of cases in the amount of states it is a little silly and if you can't laugh at it you have to cry so i choose it, right. it might
2: be more like a greek tragedy <laughs> oh um, interesting you, know, some, you, you don't typically expect someone to rise you know to the level of the presidency and continue on and then be That's faced different. with you know that this much controversy oh
0: fascinating i like i like both of those examples and comparisons. Um, I think it's interesting because you can take it on both sides, both political spectrums. You could say you could use it as the Democrats or even those who aren't Democrat, but believe he's guilty. Um, you could take it as this is ridiculous because how many more crimes does he need to commit to be proven a criminal? Um, and then there's the other side, right? For Republicans and, and Mr. Trump and D- Donald Trump himself of it's ridiculous because clearly this is a witch hunt. So it could be seen on both sides. Um, so then may, we may have- I
2: add something? Yes. Yeah. Well, I was gonna, gonna say, one of the fascinating things that, about the New York case is, and some of these others, is they're not justice, it's not the Department of Justice. Correct. So New York is coming out of the AG's office, the Carroll case, I believe, is a civil case. Is Correct,
0: right? just by her, uh, by her as an individual.
2: Right. So, it, it's it's easy to see a conspiracy there, but not. They're coming from multiple angles.
0: Correct. Absolutely. And when you talk about the the New York case, that's there's actually the two, and we we're kind of forgetting. Right. I think the public is forgetting about New York. Um, the Georgia one is so prominent. There are 19 defendants, this huge RICO violation. The the documents case seems, you know, almost in some respects treasonous if they're confidential documents that is secret, you don't give away the country's secrets. But then there are these couple that are kind of, uh, they're the, and I'm losing my own analogy here. They're the, the silent killers, but that's not the word I'm looking for. Um,
1: that's by a thousand cuts.
0: Hello. First.
1: The which one?
2: Sleepers, maybe.
0: Yes, I like that. The sleepers. That's exactly what I'm looking for.
2: Because... Stills in nicely with last night's debate. presidential <laughs> 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 debate... It- is this the time for confession that yes. I'm married to a teacher? Do I need to put that uh, out there? Well
0: played, <laughs> well played, kudos. Because yes, um, Chelsea, you didn't watch the debates, um, no. you know, which probably is the the best of all of us because I don't know that I should have or it it, it um. In Nikki Haley's, it probably made me dumber for watching it.
1: I read the yeah. highlights, but. I just can't I know that sounds so like childish but I just I, it's, it's silly and it's nonsense and I will hit the highlights and I just cannot do it
0: yeah I think dad and I we watched the whole thing <laughs> didn't we?
2: the last five minutes, I just gave up <laughs> <laughs> a confession to make. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it. you know, I was afraid some of the food fight was going to come through the set.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we were going to get the tomatoes.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: That's funny. Yeah. There were some awkward moments. Um, not to mention and the total side tangent, but not to mention the idea that um, one of the candidates suggested we just do away or misinterpret one of the entire amendments of our Constitution. Uh, that was exciting. Um, yeah,
2: but, may, I, may I make a comment? Please. Since it's on the Constitution. He got it half right. He did. So the, the, the 14th Amendment says that... Uh, Okay, give me the opening line. Oh, he uh, quoted it better than you. Born, okay. <laughs> all persons born or naturalized in the in the United States and subject mm-hmm. to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens. Correct. So what he what he got wrong what what he got right is the subject to the jurisdiction to has generally been interpreted and I think uh, correctly as applying to individuals if you're if you're a foreign diplomat in the United States and you have a child that child does not become a citizen of the United States.
0: And he actually no. said that part.
2: Yeah, no, he did. But what he it. wanted to do is he wanted to, he wanted to then claim that and it that a child born of an illegal Ill, illegal aliens in the United States was not subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. Well, that would mean as I understand it that, you know, if you had been born of alien parents in the United States and you were 20 years old and you murdered someone, that we couldn't take you to court. Because you're not you're...
0: subject to our laws.
2: Right. And clearly, you you are subject to our laws uh, in a way that a diplomat would not. I mean, diplomats, you would have to work out between the home company, c- country and us what, you know. Whether you could even
0: charge them.
2: That's right, and and what what entity they would be tried in,
0: right? And it, and it was interesting because and um, God bless, I I am trying to pronounce his name. Is it Ramaswamy? Ramaswani. Yeah, okay, I'm I'm close on it. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. It's really difficult for me some for some reason. Um. So in <laughs> he was right that it started. It was a slave based amendment. And the idea behind the amendment, he was absolutely right, was that all of the slaves would now be citizens if they had been born in the United States, that we couldn't take away that and we would actually give it to them to be citizens. So that was the basis, um, but it was a very interesting interpretation of since now we've got illegal aliens versus slaves that the, the difference of who was subject to the jurisdiction or not.
2: And, and historically there were, there were proposals not long thereafter that individuals who were born of Chinese parents in the United States or Japanese parents would not be citizens. And the constitution did not make an exclusion for them. And, You know, I mean, I I think it's worth discussing the the so-called, I I don't believe there are that many of them, but the so-called anchor babies, the Mm -hmm. claim that some Chinese come to the United States to have children so that they're dual citizens. I could see where over time that could become a problem, but if Mm -hmm. it is, then you need to modify the language of the 14th Amendment or put stricter controls on pregnant non-citizens coming to the United States to, uh, to give birth.
0: Right. Right. Well, certainly interesting discussion. Um, and with that, so we're going to go back to New York and the two cases there. So there's the yeah, other one we that
2: didn't, we didn't give them all five yet. Did we?
0: Correct. That's what I'm exactly oh, where uh-oh. I'm headed is there's one we That's hadn't it. mentioned, forget the new one, the new one, which is an old one that we're talking about, but what is the other? What's that fifth one that we haven't mentioned yet?
2: The Stormy Daniels case. There we go. Is that, yeah.
0: Stormy Daniels case. Um, yes, so that was the fifth one. So that was brought by the prosecutor, the, the Manhattan prosecutor. So that, again, is it's independent. It's not the Justice Department, just like we've got the Georgia prosecutor. Um, we have the New York, the Manhattan prosecutor. And that, those are, we call it the Stormy Daniels case, and go back and listen to the, and watch the the legal weekly wine we did on that case, where it's not technically Stormy Daniels. It's related to, it started with Stormy Daniels, but these were payoffs allegedly made um, through Donald Trump and his organization to the person who paid her off and each one of those. And I like that we're ending with that case because that's one of the things I've saved for you is that case was very related to, there are 12 different times or so though 12 or 13, I can't remember somewhere 11 to 13 where Chelsea, if you'll remember specifically that it was based on how many payments were made
1: as yes, each, each
0: mm-hmm, there yeah, were 33 counts,
1: separate counts. Um, for each payment. And if I remember correctly, it's all coming back to me was that these were essentially it was business practices, Logged these payments as like payments for services to an attorney, but really it was a payoff for paying off. Like there was the initial money for her for Stormy Daniels and then a little extra for the attorney for actually doing it for yeah For
0: taking his own Um, loan out and paying her. It was a repayment of the loan plus a little interest. Exactly. So what they did, and a lot of people have criticized the attorney for so many charges where they could have lumped it all in as one fraudulent practice, but he chose to charge for every single time that a payment was made because what he was saying is basically there was forgery or fraud in the inducement, then fraud of false pretenses for presenting it to the bank and presenting it to be cashed as, you know, this is a payment for this when it really wasn't. Um, so that's the the very quick basics of that case. So what's happening in this case is it's very similar to the one proposed by the Manhattan attorney, the criminal attorney, that they're saying, well, you've submitted financial forms that are not true, and you've signed them and you've submitted them as if they are true, and they're not. And in that way, it's extremely similar. But what she's doing is she's got the civil side of it, where the attorney general is the attorney for the state of New York, but it's civil matters. So all of the prosecutions are individual counties, but the state, the attorney general's office represents the state as the whole. Um, so that's how I'm comparing them, is we've got the civil side. Now, it's not on the Stormy Daniel checks. Um, it's actually for financial statements that he made of valuations of his own property. Um, I mean-
1: this is basic, right? This is, this is like the sleazy car salesman. That's what this is—is is overinflating the S. Like that's what it is. Saying, "Oh my God, this is a great car," and it's really a lemon. That's what he did, but on a much larger scale. It does. It does seem
0: to be. Um, and <laughs> it really. So, yeah. yeah. Go ahead.
2: Let me add for the so the viewers aren't confused mm-hmm. here. You use the word summary judgment. Yes, and you and I know what that means, and Chelsea knows, but I'm not sure everybody else does. Chelsea implied that guilt has been established, and that's essentially what this what this summary judgment is, right? Unless it's overturned, the judge has said we don't need to go to a we don't need to go to a jury to decide whether he has overinflated or underinflated assets in a way to I, what this get better loans, Correct. Uh, pay fewer taxes, pay fewer taxes and the like. So it's actually, this is actually a conviction waiting judgment on the penalty.
0: No, it's actually a finding of liability I'm waiting sorry. on that, that's, damages. That's a better way to
2: phrase it. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah. So it's not a criminal case. It, it reads like a criminal case. Right. And the law that they're basing it on, um, reads like a criminal case, and it's actually a penal code law um, that they they refer to a lot. but it it is a civil claim. And the the judge spends a lot of time. it's executive law, executive law 63. Um, and it talks about whenever any person shall engage in repeated fraudulent or illegal acts or otherwise demonstrate persistent fraud, or illegality in the carrying on conducting or transaction of benefit, Um, of business, sorry, transaction of business. This is how the law starts. Um, So it's very much like a criminal law because we're talking about fraud and fraud can be a criminal charge and indeed is in many of these other cases against him but it's a specific civil case and one of the things that it does within the law is it gives the attorney general herself and you know this this case whoever it may be the attorney general the right to bring an action under this rule for these types of business transactions and it says you know the term persistent fraud or illegality it's including continuance or carrying on of any fraudulent or illegal act or conduct repeated shall include repetition of any separate or distinct fraudulent or illegal act and it what he's saying through the summary judgment, Dr. Vial, I really appreciate that you're bringing us back to that, um, to explain it, is he's saying all of these facts that have already been established prior to the trial, whether by deposition or stipulation or, you know, other arguments, all of the facts lead to one conclusion. It's that there's fraud whether it's illegal or not, there's still fraudulent acts being committed. And in the statute, it doesn't say that it had to be intentional or even knowing. So there's no level of intent that has to be proved. It's was there fraud or was there not? And he's saying- liability. Exactly, it's a strict liability case. They've proven yeah. there was fraud and it's done.
2: But you you wouldn't go after someone who makes a $10 error or probably even a $1,000 error if you're, you know, maybe not a $10,000 error if you're dealing with billions of dollars. Correct. there, I think one of the most fascinating things about this is not only has the judge found that the president is liable, but he has actually fined three attorneys, I believe, $7,500 each. For seven. Five or seven yeah.
0: of them. Yeah.
2: Yeah. However many there are. He's actually fine them for, and I'm not. And here I'm not sure. Part of it I think is for advancing law that has been superseded or incorrect law, but I think for also just bringing forward figures that they had good reason to believe were not accurate.
0: Correct. That's absolutely right. And there are. I wanted to make sure I I did it in all my notes. Sometimes I. Make so many notes, like it's five attorneys, yeah. What the judge has done is he's separately and individually fined five attorneys, $7,500 each, who signed the the documents it's as if your signature was on this, whether you intended your signature to be on it or not, I'm fining each of you for frivolous arguments. And it's not so much that, uh, that we think, well, you can make any argument and maybe they're just calling it frivol- frivolous. In this case, the judge has pointed out, look, you've essentially made this argument four times, the same argument. When you first made it, I said no. Then you appealed it. The appellate court said no. Then you made it a second time. And I told you that time, do not make it again. I'm warning you, I'm telling you it's wrong. And I'm telling you not to make it again. You appealed it, the appellate court said no. And now this is the third time, after four times you've lost it, that you've brought it again, and at this point it's egregious conduct. We've already said no, you're an attorney, You've been told why you can't bring this these issues. Like Dr. Vile, just like you said, they're citing cases that have been overturned.
2: You know, from a layperson's standpoint, and I have a PhD but not a JD. So for somebody without a JD, it doesn't quite seem fair that you would, you know, what if you have a client who says, I want you to, I'm paying you to make this argument, don't you have an obligation to do it? And there I think is maybe where Chelsea had uh in in a recent study for the bar exam it, it, it was sort of up to date on that
1: yeah so that's one of the basic sort of professional ethics you have a duty candor towards the tribunal which means you just have to basically be honest in court um and you can't misrepresent the law and they had been told multiple times that this was an incorrect reading of the law it was a misrepresentation of the law and warned not to do it. I don't know if I've ever heard of this in any other context of someone being this egregious that, so I guess it makes sense that they got sort of chastised and fined by the judge.
0: The only surprise to me was that they weren't fined more, quite honestly, or removed from the case, because certainly it would have been within the judge's discretion to say, I'm done with you, find new, find new attorneys. Um, but, but yeah. <laughs>
2: May I raise a related issue that might be of interest? So, you know, Cassidy Hutchison has this new book coming out, and she claims uh, that she was told by Trump's, when when Trump's attorneys were representing her, that she was basically told not to lie, but, you know, you can just say, I don't recollect does that fall under a similar, I mean, does that, if you know, if you can show that an attorney has instructed you to say that, does, does that fall under a similar, you know, reprimandable offense?
0: Absolutely. Because as an attorney, ethically, and all states have some form of this rule um, that they've adopted as their own, is you you can't tell a client to lie. And they're they're playing fast and loose with this. Where you can say, You can't help participate in any lie, misrepresentation, fraud, or illegal act. So you can tell a client, look, don't make up an answer. If you don't remember, you don't remember. Say you don't remember. But to go to the point where I'd rather you not answer and just say you don't remember.
2: As an attorney... Or as a witness, you're not obligated to volunteer information you're not asked. Correct. Uh, well, why didn't you? You know, why didn't you ask me about the second body? Or you know, what about <laughs> this million dollars? But <laughs> if you're asked and you know the answer, and your attorney says just say I've forgotten or I don't recollect, then that is dishonest. And if it could yes. be proved, then would subject to a, a lawyer to liability.
0: Yes, you've said it perfectly.
1: Absolutely. This is one of my favorite, this is one of my favorite what we call law school legal fictions. That it's sort of this like box we make. That's yes. why most defense attorneys don't want to know if their client is guilty or not, because it's knowingly right making misrepresentations to the court. It's not about these mistakes. So you would have to know to make the misrepresentations. So I d I don't I think it's interesting of like walking this line of if I don't know, I can't misrepresent <laughs> it, which is like, ugh. Ah.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. So, okay, but if they know, and and for the law, and that's what the judge is saying is you've I've told you the law is wrong that or this idea of the law that you have is wrong. So you can't say anymore. Well, I didn't know. I was making a novel legal argument. No, you've made the same legal argument, and I've told you it's wrong. The appellate court has told you it's wrong. Um. So we get into. I, I have to quote some of this, because whatever you think of the judge and his decision, whether it's right or wrong, it's some of the best writing I've seen. It's actually fully entertaining to read. And I laughed out loud several times. Um, And I honestly think that was the purpose, is the judge was trying to say, this is so ridiculous that there's nothing for it but it's ridiculous and I'm going to say it's ridiculous and I'm going to tell other people it's ridiculous and make sure they think it's ridiculous. And there's a part, even at the beginning, beginning beginning-ish, it's page 10, where he says that the defendants are, quote, in a fantasy world, not a real world. Hmm. And what he goes through is he summarizes Everything that the defendants, Donald Trump, his two two of his sons, um, the adult sons, as well as the the Trump organizations, whether they're a parent company or a subsidiary company, those are the defendants, along with another attorney or some other people who were board and you know executive directors and trustees. Um, but what he's saying is, look, the defendants keep claiming these valuations that they've basically pulled from the sky, where there are certain, they've gotten actual evaluations, they've gotten real assessments of their value. There are people who have done reports, reputable um, companies who have valued their property. Um, There are some, like for instance, and, and for example, it's, well, they valued the property at $21 million, but you're claiming that it's $321,000. So they're saying you are absolutely conflating and inflating the prices and the value despite credible valuations that you've received either by counties, by states, or by other reputable companies. And he goes through and he, in this summary, in this summary before he gets into all of the fake valuations as he sees them, is that he's saying, here's what they're doing. Their defendants are claiming essentially that, and he says, reliance on, quote, bogus arguments. And defendants were in defendants' world, rent-regulated apartments are worth the same as unregulated apartments. Restricted land is worth the same as unrestricted land. Restrictions can evaporate into thin air a disclaimer by one party casting responsibility on another exonerates the lies. Um, and the attorney general of the state of New York does not have capacity or standing to sue. Virginia? Yeah.
2: Let me add something that you may, maybe you're going to spring this on us or get us to it <laughs> later. But the most fascinating for a realtor, right, mm-hmm. real, estate, real estate developer, is... That the size of his his penthouse apparently varies from like what four thousand to twenty four thousand or fourteen thousand.
0: Yeah, ten thousand square feet to thirty thousand square feet.
2: Yeah, that's, it's that's not likely a mistake that you would make in calculating. And <laughs> you know.
0: That's exactly what the judge is saying. That's the last part, is he says, and square footage is subjective in their fantasy world. Because what he does is, this is the Trump Tower triplex, and he even says the court takes judicial notice, and Chelsea, I'm going to have you talk about that and what that means. The court takes judicial notice that the Trump Tower apartment in which Donald Trump resided for decades is 10,996 square feet. But from 2012 to 2016, the documents that he submitted claim that they're 30,000 square feet. And what the defendant is arguing is that square footage is subjective. It's what we feel that it is. It's we feel like it and we think that it's about 30,000 feet because we didn't measure, but it feels so big and grandiose. It must be 30,000. And
1: the judge is saying, no, it's a mathematical equation. I'd love to join them. In this fantasy world, because my 400 square foot studio apartment, I would love if I could just dream it to be bigger. That would be fantastic for me, actually.
2: One of the children didn't move out, did they? That might make that all seem a lot bigger. It really did feel or, like 30. Or, or a former wife, you know?
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and he goes through. He's like, "Good faith, good faith measurements could vary by as much as 10 to 20%, but not 200%." He's saying this is truly ridiculous. The statements that you submitted are clearly false. And there's no way around it. Um the <laughs> here's one of the the two things that I I wanted to to have fun with you on is the crux of the argument to me and what he's saying comes down to the princess bride you've both seen this right
1: yes yes
0: okay Um, do you remember they're they're riding on the boat with the princess going to this island right They're, they're stealing the princess gonna go off with her um and the the one man keeps saying inconceivable do you remember this part Yes. And, and one of the guys looks and he just keeps saying inconceivable where the, you know, the the other ship, the pirate ship is advancing on them and it's gaining on them and it's getting closer and it's getting closer. And the guy keeps looking and saying inconceivable. And the guy, the other one says, well, but it's getting closer and they see it's getting closer and inconceivable. And he finally looks at him and says, I do not think that word means what you think it means. <laughs>
2: Let's cut to the chase for Mm -hmm. the viewers, because here's where—why does this—I mean, obviously, it's not good to have a court judgment against you, but how has the state suffered? What I mean, does this—the real-world impact, why should I care if Trump misvalues his property or overstates or understates it? Has it done any harm to me or to other people, people in New York or to people in the United States in general?
0: Perfect question. And that was one of the defense's arguments is they said, look, nobody's recalled a loan because what he was doing is these financial statements were submitted so that he could get loans from banks um where his credit would increase with them um they'd feel more comfortable giving him loans they'd they'd feel more comfortable giving you know increasing lines of credit etc and the defense says nobody was harmed exactly what the question you're asking you said nobody recalled the loans he didn't default on any loans he didn't even make a you know a late payment so who cares and what the judge goes through is, is a twofold argument based on what the, the attorney general proffered. Is under this law, they don't have to prove that it did actually cause harm. They only had to prove that it was fraudulent or illegal behavior. And what he says is the purpose of the law is to not excuse fraudulent. Or illegal acts just because we can't see the harm. The harm is to the society as a whole. We're letting people get by with fraudulent business practices. And maybe the banks didn't recall the loans. Maybe, you know, we can't see the tangible value of loss. But overall, we shouldn't let people get by with fraudulent business practices just we can't just because we can't prove a net loss just because we can't prove a specific victim. That's why it's not a criminal case, right? Um, Where they're saying, it's, but it's not even tangential. In a way, it sounds tangential, as you know, it affects the marketplace. Kind of like, you know, shoplifting raises the prices for everyone, right? Because some people can't pay their medical bills, we have higher medical costs. That's the idea of because these fraudulent business transactions are going on the banks are giving him loans and extending their money to him when they could be extending their money to someone else who is more deserving and who hasn't committed any fraudulent business actions and isn't trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes where it undermines the entire system and our state has called this fraudulent business practices. We don't want to encourage people to perform fraudulent business practices just because they can get away with it.
2: Um, Does it how many, how much taxes you would have paid or not? I mean, you you would think it almost had the opposite effect if you're claiming to, that it's more valuable than less. Do we know if it affected tax bills?
0: I, I I'll do a twofold answer. From what I can tell, I'm, I'm, to, not totally sure. So I can't say a full yes or no with confidence. But what I can say is based on this case and what has been described by the judge and interpreted by the judge, there were certain property assessments. So, for instance, Mar a Lago is included in this right. of, you know, the Trump Towers, Mar a Lago, even the Scotland property, the golf course he has in Scotland. What they're seeing, what he's saying is, There was the state value, right? If we own property in each state, we get a tax assessment every year. This is what the state or the county or the city values your property at. You owe X amount of money, right? Your income tax or your property tax. And what he's saying is the assessment in some of these properties was low, you know, 2,000% in some cases, or 200% lower than what you valued. So you're getting the benefit of you paid less taxes on the property because the property assessment through your local government agency was less, so you paid lower taxes. But then you got the benefit of higher loans that you didn't have to pay the higher taxes you would have paid if it truly were as inflated as it was. Um, So so there is a benefit that he's getting. They're saying you personally, maybe not society, maybe not these banks, but you personally benefited from ill-gotten gains. Is you got more loans, you got more money, you got higher investors, more investors because you were conflating your, your prices, because you were inflating your value and your net worth that you should not and would have not have gotten otherwise. I actually, the best that I, and this goes to Dr. Vile, one of the things we talked about off camera before we started is to what happens? What's the result? So you touched one, one question that's huge. Why do we care? What's it matter? And then the second question is, well, what happens next? What do we do about it? It's not a crime, we don't send them to jail. Um, or he's not being prosecuted. The judge is very clear about this. He's saying, I am considering these, some of these illegal acts, not just fraudulent, but under this law, we're not prosecuting a crime. We just consider the crimes and determining whether there was civil fraud. And he has the authority, and he states it multiple times, to do what's called disgorgement. Do either you. Know that
2: well, I mean, it's it's the term, it's not just a legal term. If you just gorge something, you spit it back up, yeah, (laughs) in (laughs) layman's terms, (laughs) regurgitate it, right? Yes, very much so. (laughs) Yes, okay,
0: you get rid of it and give it back. Um, and he says, over continuously, this law, this executive law that we're using that she's sued under, allows properties to be sold for you to get rid of essentially your ill-gotten gains that we can now you forfeit them we can take them and we can do it you know sell them and put them back into the marketplace so to so to speak um i think of this as the drug forfeiture laws in most states where you you catch a drug dealer right and he has thousands of dollars in his pocket. Well, it's <laughs> it's not yours. And he's like, but it's the marketplace. I got it. You know, I sold something, I got the benefit of the bargain. They bought my, bought the crack I was selling, I got the money for it. And the idea is, well, that's not legal. <laughs> you know, that's not and, right. And you...
2: Sometimes they'll confiscate your car, right? Or yes. your house if it's yep. where it's found. They, they do this for for hunting.
1: Exactly. Uh,
2: if you're if you're hunting in a national forest uh, illegally, you, you better take an old truck. Don't take a <laughs> <new one. laughs>
0: They'll take that truck. They
2: yes. Will.
0: It's very, very similar. And I think that's, to me, that was the aha moment. If that's what this means is that you can't profit from your ill gotten gains and we're not going to let you keep what you used, what you got from these, fraudulent and criminal business practices and it's just like I had a case um, in in Virginia when I was a prosecutor in Newport News one of the other prosecutors did a full jury trial on a forfeiture where he, it, it was a, a known drug dealer such a successful drug dealer that he had the boat he had the car he had the house he had all of these things for over $300,000 in valuation And what he had to prove was that these items were bought using money he had gotten through the drug trade and through drug dealing. And we don't want to award people for doing illegal activities. That's not the point. We want to award and give money for people in the regular marketplace doing good business practices. So the guy forfeited all of it.
2: But we're not sure, are we, whether this applies to out-of-state property? I mean... We don't know for sure that they will sell his property. Correct. Um, but w- but even more, we don't know the the extent to which jurisdiction in New York might apply to Mor-a-Lago or exactly. Scotland or somewhere else.
0: Exactly. I don't personally know how they could get to the Scotland property. Um, even if they wanted to and the judge himself has said in a follow-up motions hearing on Wednesday uh, that was exactly what the defendants were asking was a why go to trial on anything what's left to decide now that you've said it's all fraudulent Um, but the second was well what happens to all these properties and businesses and the, the interesting thing is they were all put into a monitored trust last year where there was a motion to say look we think these business practices are still going on we need to have a a conservator so to speak a trustee to monitor what's happening with these businesses and to make sure that they're conducting the right practices so many of these organizations and these defendants have been subject to this conservator for you know since last year and the question then is Will a conservator or trustee continue to just oversee all of the business practices and the businesses themselves, or will they confiscate and sell the properties? And if so, would the state be entitled to that money as a forfeiture of ill-gotten gains, or would Trump and his, you know, the other defendants be entitled to some of the profits from the sales? Those are the questions that are there.
2: Is a fine a possibility in this case? I mean, that that would seem to be in some ways the the cleanest. You know, you're not actually taking, you 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 try to ascertain, you know, was it a billion with, you know, me million here, right. me and there. You know, how much exactly did it contribute? And right. I mean, there is still going to be a jury component of this, right? There's and supposed is, to be. Yeah, but that would be what they would be tasked with doing. <laughs> Is, is deciding to, you know, how egregious was it? Yes.
0: Um, yes. What is the extent of the damages? And it's not so much as we talked about just a minute ago, how much other people were harmed, but how much he, they were benefited. And that would be what the jury decides is they're not right. deciding whether it's fraudulent or illegal repetitive conduct. The judge is saying since 2011, this has been repeated conduct, but, how much should they owe or how much should they take off because they gained that much amount
2: in the 2011 let's clarify mm-hmm. that that's because the of statute of limitations they're not saying it just began then or, or or are they
0: it both there is a huge statute of limitations questions and, and chelsea tell us what that is before i continue
1: yeah, so the statute of limitations is a certain time period of very state to state that you can bring and bring in action after something has happened. So usually for like a personal injury car accident type things it's like two to three years from the date of the incident um, and like med mal that type of thing. So this is interesting that they're running up against a statute of limitations for some of what they think has occurred.
0: Exactly, and that's that you've hit on the word some, is the court has already decided in pretrial motions that some of the behavior, basically 2011 to about 2012 or, or 14, has fallen outside of the statute of limitations. So they can't include that as a finding of fraudulent behavior at that time period. The other time, there was this tolling of the statute where the parties originally, before the lawsuit, agreed, both sides, the attorney general and the defendants, that they would basically suspend the timing for one to two years until they decided on the lawsuit. So they got an extra one to two years. For them. So now they are going forward on some, but the judge keeps saying very clearly I am considering the 2011 behavior, the 2012 behavior. I'm not saying that it's a separate action because it can't be. I've already ruled that that's outside of the statute of limitations, but it can be used to prove that there was continuing fraudulent behavior, continuing illegal business practices. So he does reference over and over that that was proof to him of repetitive practices. That was proof to him that this is an ongoing issue and enterprise, um, but technically it's not included. So the jury would only be able to to review damages, the amounts subject to anybody based on the timeframe that was allowed under the statute.
1: You
2: know, as a political scientist, we've talked about the legal and financial, but there's also a political dimension mm-hmm. here which suggests that to the extent that Trump was elected for being a business genius mm. who would be able to apply what he knew to the government, this might suggest that it wasn't so much genius as it was uh, chicanery yeah, uh, or, you know, fr- fraud. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it sort of takes down a notch the image of, you know, somewhat... And, of course, that image was already flawed by, you know, the casinos that went bankrupt and uh, people that he didn't pay and this sort of thing. But th- this sort of pops the balloon again or in a, in a different different way.
0: It certainly does. And, and there is the finding, and, and to go back to, I'm trying to make sure I finish answering the question that you did of what what's the, the penalty, is exactly this. I think politically, even outside what the judge or the jury could design— is politically, what is the penalty? Do we continue to have the question of this is a witch hunt or otherwise? But what the attorney general keeps saying is this is a con man. Pure and simple, like Chelsea, you're used car salesman.
1: Yeah. We it call it giving sleazy. Like it's just giving shady I yeah. think is the problem but I do think you made an excellent point Dr. Violet and you too Virginia that politically we're pretty divided and so you're going to have one side saying this is a witch hunt which I think we know how I feel about that because really all of these people across all these states are coordinating I don't buy it but you have that and then you also have the other side that isn't believing and it's just I don't really know if the consequences are going to be that much different than sort of what his, the general opinion of him on either side was. I don't and think. And so that's, far,
2: every indictment seems to to raise his popularity, bolster so, it. Um, mm-hmm. and, may, may I bring up something new, Virginia? Please. Have we ever talked on the show about the May West effect?
0: We have not.
2: Okay, so I have an article that should be coming out, co-authored with Kent Siler, who's a, a former congressional aide. We have, we have posited that anytime you have two candidates with very high negatives, that the Mae West effect kicks in. Mae West, who is a sort of body entertainer, uh, famous to a generation long before the, the two of you, once said that anytime she had to choose between the, the lesser of two evils, she tried the one she hadn't tried before. So mm-hmm. we posited that in 2016, this would give Trump an advantage over Hillary Clinton, because she was so well-known, had been in politics Mm. so long. Both of them had very high negatives, and it worked that way. And then last election, we predicted, okay, Biden's been on the national scene, but not nearly as prominent as Trump has for four years. Mm. Neither, you know, it's hard to say neither of them was well-liked when they both got the nomination, but both had high negatives. Mm -hmm. And we predicted it would work for Biden. And so, our prediction for this year is that if we have a rematch, it doesn't really—it won't affect it. But if either party were to choose a new candidate without the mm-hmm. high negatives, they would probably win, unless the other party does the same thing. In which case, then you—you you, you again uh, probably would not have the May West effect.
0: Fascinating. But in any event, no, that's that's a really interesting theory. I like that.
2: Well, yeah. I I don't know <laughs> I don't know how it will stand up am- among some of the more quantitative uh, political scientists, but it's it's predicted to the last two elections, and perhaps it will a third. But <laughs> it, it's it's sort of a warning right now. It, it it appears as though both candidates are you know sort of inevitable. <laughs> uh, Trump's numbers are you know way way above anybody else's. Yeah. But they may not, you know, they may not be forever. And he does, even though he has he has a, a strong band of ardent supporters. But he probably has a much strong or just as strong people who just hate him. Yeah. Uh, and and Biden, uh, and partly he, here, you, here it partly depends on how you define negatives. But particularly with concern, actually of both candidates, but particularly for Biden about their age. Uh, you know, given somebody who may not be able to make it for four more years, hmm. you might go with the person you think can. So oh, it'll be very, I guess what we're saying is that if the Republicans were to choose somebody other than Trump, Biden would have less of a chance of winning than if it is Trump.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Interesting.
2: And that's, by the way, neither neither favoring nor disfavoring. Biden is just sort of pointing out, you know, there are great concerns, particularly about his age. Right. Uh, and actually, Trump is not very far behind in term, you know, in terms of if you had to measure the relative health, right? Uh, who knows which one would would, would be higher.
1: Interesting. I, mean, I think that just anecdotally rings true to me. I think a lot of people, at least I can speak for sort of my age, are just very distrustful of the of the sort of system, and so an outsider does seem more appealing than someone who's been entrenched in politics right. for a lot of their life. Well, on policy. the other hand,
2: you, you know, the most obvious outsider this year is probably Ramaswamy, and I think, you, you know, I, just because you're an outsider doesn't mean <laughs> you're going to your win. your
0: face!
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, in, in in some ways, he's much like Trump, right? A person's made his money in business, never... <laughs> never apparently voted until election or two before you know has never held political office never served in the military you know trump trump was the first president to that was true of every Mm. other president either had extensive military service or public service or both Mm. and trump did not and you know so it may not be that you want that much of an outsider but the new face, and you, you know, John Kennedy capitalized on this in in, in the nineteen sixty election. Now, he he wasn't running against Eisenhower because Eisenhower had served his two terms, but for many people, you know, he was the new face. And if if you, I'm sure you'll remember his inaugural address when he says, of course, you know, we're passing right, we're <laughs> passing the torch to a new generation."
0: That's an effort. I funny. do
2: think. Pardon?
0: doesn't everybody yeah,
2: remember? Just, uh, well i always get the eight you know the the 1960 and the 1860 election you, you know speeches it's hard to keep them separate in my mind but... i can
0: see that <laughs> um okay so and my
2: students think that i should remember the the 100 years before that except, uh, no there wasn't there was there wasn't a 1760 <laughs> But they, they think I should remember before.
0: It it is funny as a as a quick anecdote. Um, my my son, he's fifteen and <laughs> it it's really hard. We were watching a, a show the other day and he's like, How old is that actor? It's like, Well, and we looked it up and it was like fifty-two. He's like, Wow, that's really Old. <laughs> I'm like, how old do you think your parents are? <laughs> it's like, um among the three of us, the the mom, the stepmom, and the dad, we're we're right around that age. And some, you know, one's a little older, one's right there. So um it was very, it's very funny perspective. So I, I can see that. So l- let's wrap this up real quick. I think one of the things I want to say before the end of this is. This case is the most like two of the others. The Stormy Daniel one, which is the criminal side, but not of the same transaction. But I almost would compare, and I do, I'll just forget the almost, I compare this most with the Georgia Rico law and case. To me, the entire case reads of a racketeering organization the same way that it's been presented in the complaint for RICO, the RICO complaint against the 19 defendants, where it's a continuing illegal enterprise designed to do illegal things. And that's how this reads. So in reading it, it's like, well, this, this is criminal, but it's brought under a civil statute. And it just keeps going on of all this repetitive, continuous behavior over a longer period of time to support an enterprise, to overall have these conspiracies, these underlying conspiracies to defraud the banks, to defraud other investors, to defraud property managers, to defraud the state, um, and ultimately gain from that. So when I look at this case, it is to me the civil side of the Georgia Rico case and the most similar to that, except it's not a criminal case, even though it defines criminal behavior.
2: And it's similar again, if you've been keeping track of some of the interviews with Cassidy Hutchison, Mm -hmm. it's similar to, you know, I can't let people know that I lost this election because it would be embarrassing. You just sort of repeat the same thing over and over no matter how many court cases you lose, no matter how many people tell you, you say, no, I'm, you know, power positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won, we won, we won.
0: Absolutely. Uh, if I say it's $3 million, it's $3 million. Right, um, right. And and one of the pieces in here was talked about is there there was a quantity that the the defendants had that they were placing the subjective quantity on the Trump effect. Is the valuation just because it was Donald Trump? Um, and you know, there is some some sense to that. A- and I say in this case that that it's proven not because I'm trying to pick a side for or against Trump, but legally speaking, this case is determined in terms of the judge has ruled based summary judgment, a conclusion of law that the the state proved that there were fraudulent behaviors. So in that sense, that's why I'm referencing these are fraudulent and illegal behaviors, not so much that I think they are they aren't, but the judge has made that finding. It is a legal finding on the record. It will be appealed. Dr. Vile, just like you were suggesting before, absolutely it will be appealed. It will be appealed as high as possible. But for now, that is the finding, and we're only waiting to find out what powers the jury has and whether the the companies the the land the properties are going to be taken away from him and sold and whether if they are would he get any money would any of these organizations get any money or not um but overall my biggest takeaway is these are not the droids you're looking for they're not what (laughs) oh it fell flat i was so close of course you uh, they're not the droids you're looking for (laughs) Come on, Star Wars. Chelsea, give me something. Okay.
2: Sorry. <laughs> I, I know about 1860, okay? And I have watched Star, Star Wars, okay.
0: <laughs> okay, well, Stuck at least you, you knew the Princess Bride. It's the similar thing of I do not think okay. you me- it means what you think it means. Um, <laughs> that, where the, the in Star Wars then, <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi famously okay. in the first one. Um, they get to to the stormtroopers, and they have the droids they're looking for in the in the control oh, you know droid. in their
2: droids is the word I just yeah. couldn't hear the word okay. yeah
0: they have them in the the vehicle okay. and they're trying to get by and he uses the force to convince them that these are not the droids you're looking for okay.
2: Okay. when okay. indeed uh, they were i i just couldn't hear the word mm-hmm. and it was okay. it's, it's so, okay you're old you know we left out <laughs> Menendez <laughs> I it's either loss
0: of hearing or you just don't remember.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so Linda and I are thinking that maybe we need to move, you know, we shouldn't have $500,000 in gold bars lying around the house <laughs> that other people may not understand that. <laughs> so we, you know, we have to do house cleaning this year. this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's definitely a conflation. Um, hilarious, yeah. hilarious analogy there. Um, thanks to both of you, um, such a lively and interesting conversation. I really appreciate you both, uh, tackling this, this particular topic with me today.
2: If I do enough of these, you think I can qualify for taking the bar?
0: You might be able to. <laughs> you, you really might. We're we're all gonna learn, and maybe I can get a PhD in political science well, by oh the Maybe end.
2: so. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more likely. <laughs> Your LLM wasn't enough. I, it oh, and wasn't. by the way, I'm gonna chastise you.
0: Oh, on air, huh? Okay. Oh,
2: well, I think didn't think no we were still on air.
0: Oh, we're still we're still live. Go ahead. It's okay. We're taping this. I'll cut it well, out okay, if I need to. Would.
2: Right. So, I was telling. you know, Katie came to our, our board meeting and I realized when we had all the schools people had attended, we didn't, you know, our graduates, we didn't have George Mason on there. And I said, well, I'm sorry, you know, sorry about that. I'll put that on and I probably ought to put William and Mary there too. And my, my assistant looks it up and says, well, Virginia didn't go to William and Mary. And I said, she may not, so, you haven't listed it, apparently, on your website. You've listed George Washington. According to her, you've listed your LLM, but not your JD.
0: Okay. Well, my marketing company, who gave me a gift of wine, I'll have to contact them.
2: <laughs> well, check. Because, I mean, you know, especially, I mean, that gives you, you know, your Virginia connection, D.C., then all you then you, all you need to do is go to University of Maryland, pick up your Ph.D., and you'll have all of them.
1: And go. My
0: husband does always joke that I would just be a constant student, so I'll I'll let him know I'm going to go for my PhD.
2: Well, let him know. Do do check because I I think you ought to have William and Mary on there.
0: It's supposed to be.
2: Okay. Well, just because she didn't find it doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't there. I'll check. Because it should be.
0: I'm very proud of all uh, my alma mater. Are you ashamed
2: of my alma mater? (laughs) Not at all.
0: No, I'm very proud to to have had my JD, gotten my JD at William & Mary. And you um, got your original Bachelor of Science or Arts there?
2: What did they call Uh, it? Arts, I think. Okay. And, And, you know, remember, have you ever told Chelsea about the time you got embarrassed in class? Because I... So, more... The Marshall With statue they have, they say, John, that George With taught all these famous people, including James Madison. So I wrote back, I I played James them. Madison. So he wrote them. I wrote to the dean, later became president, and said, I've, you know, I think I know James Madison, and I don't believe he studied under George With. And the res- the sad response is. Oh, we didn't mean that James Madison. We meant the James Madison who was bishop of Virginia and former president of William and Mary. Oh my! (laughs) And so Virginia, you you complete the story, right?
0: Yeah. So he taught um, he taught a specific class. The the dean taught a class. Um, Citizen lawyer was the the title of the class, and I wasn't taking it. I was a first year student, and this was a third, second, and third year class. And during the class, apparently, he actually mentioned that one of the students' fathers wrote to him about the statue. Oh, um, and <laughs> that they, they didn't know, and this was actually who it was and who it wasn't. Um, but they talked, he didn't, of course, mention my name, but half the students in there knew it was me and my dad. Um, <laughs> of
1: course.
0: <laughs> so it was a fun day, uh, I had love by that. all. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we love our stories. Uh, yeah. And clearly for those of you who are listening and watching by now, you've hopefully figured out that Dr. Vile is my father. Um, and I'm very proud that he is, uh, as well as with my alma maters and Chelsea on our team. So we've got a good one. I, I wanted to make sure everybody knew we are taking a break next week. Um, so next week, the first week in October, there will not be, um, a season or a, I guess, an episode of The Legal Weekly Wine, and we will pick back up the second week. Do like, subscribe, comment. That way you can see continuous um, recordings that we have and programs that we do, as well as um, make it more likely that others can see it and enjoy the same program. Thanks um, for listening and for watching. I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm joined by Chelsea Rogers and Dr. John Vile, and we will catch you next time on The Legal Weekly Wine.